Hey Geekscapists, Derek here for Geekscape Games. Uh, we're now a couple weeks outside of PAX West, so first off I just wanted to say that we apologize that this is coming to you so late. Uh, while we were down in Seattle, Michaela and I recorded a bunch of developer interviews, and we're here today to finally share them with you. Uh, we also wrote about quite a few of these games, so you can head over to geekscape.net for a deeper dive into some of the fantastic titles that we played at PAX West. Uh, we also did a roundtable, so Courtney Jake, Michaela, and I talked about our top three titles of the entire expo, um, so you can head to geekscape.net to look for that as well. Uh, we did lose a few interviews along the way due to some audio issues. Um, this was really our first time out doing live audio. It certainly presented some challenges. Um, we've already kind of made it for a plan on how we can make things better next time around. Uh, but we chatted with the developers of the Marvel Battle Lines upcoming mobile game, uh, the creator of Bee Simulator, which I know Michaela went on and on and on about during one of our PAX breakdown episodes, uh, and also the developers of Leisure Suit Larry Wet Dreams Don't Dry. Uh, we had a great time playing all of these games and some great conversations with the developers that we are uh, disappointed won't make it to you, um, but don't hesitate to look for these games as their releases approach. Um, in any case, thanks a lot. Thanks again for coming with us along this journey to PAX West 2018. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the ride as much as we did. Uh, we hope you enjoyed these interviews that did make the cut. Um, there are still some audio issues here and there, so thank you for bearing with us uh, through them as well. Um, yeah, like I said, we've already got a plan in place on how we can turn things around for the next one. So um, in any case, hopefully you uh, learn something new in the uh, interviews that are coming up. Hey Geekscapists, uh, Derek here on the floor at PAX West 2018. I'm here with Craig Brown from Shy Kids Games. Uh, him and his wife are working on a unique, weird looking game called With Friends Like These and it uh, definitely drew my attention on the show floor. Uh, hey Craig, how are you doing? Uh, doing great, PAX has been so much fun so far. Good turnout so far? Yeah, it's been really good. Uh, just packed non-stop, but it's, it's keeping the energy levels up. Awesome. So you guys, I, I, I'm just kind of wandering around up on level 6 if you're here this weekend. Um, you guys were selected for the PAX 10. Uh, what does that mean for those that don't know? Uh, so PAX 10, they, a whole bunch of developers will uh, submit their games, and then I think it's a selection of 50 industry experts will handpick 10 games from that bunch that kind of represent uh, different areas of the industry. And we were lucky enough, we weren't expecting it. Um, Nicole, when she opened up the email, said, that's weird that our rejection email has our names in it, because um, normally it's just a blank rejection. Um, but seeing that we got selected was a thrill. This is something we, we didn't expect we'd be able to get. Is this your first game? Uh, first game, yeah. Like We've done a few smaller jams and stuff like that, but this is our first one of this scale. And can you tell us a little bit about it for those that obviously can't see it here? Yeah, so it's an adorable 2D co-op game. Nicole does all the art. Um, we get people to... We force them to work together, so you're both controlling the same ship, uh, and based on what part of the environment you're in, uh, you'll either be handling the movement or the shooting so we don't leave it up to the players to say i only want to do the shooting or i only want to move as they move through the world we'll we'll swap that for them and it's definitely it's a little bit jarring at first because you are expecting to control one thing and all of a sudden you're controlling another seems like people are getting the hang of it pretty quickly though is that right yeah that's that's generally after the first five minutes then you start finding that groove with your partner like it's 
it is that weird thing of you're so used to in games being like, okay, I know exactly where I should be to shoot this direction. Um, but once you yeah, do have that kind of uh, comfort with your partner, you're able to predict what they're going to be doing. Uh, and so you were talking about the art, and you said your wife does all the art. Is uh, some, some of it's pretty odd. Tell us a little bit about like how that came to be, because it's definitely. I mean, it's not like anything else I'm seeing on the show floor today. Yeah, no. The simplest way to put it is Nicole's a weirdo. Um, she just makes really cool stuff. Like I remember at one point we just said, okay, we just need a gate here to stop the player from just flying through everything. And then I wake up the next day and she made like this caterpillar vomiting up a rainbow uh, with creatures jumping on her tummy. Um, huge influences on stuff like Rocco's Modern Life and a whole bunch of cartoons like that. Just making stuff weird because it's more fun to, to be that way. Uh, so after you, I played the game, you gave me this little comic book which kind of tells the hilarious story of this game. Uh, what is what is the story of this game? Cool, so the story uh, is essentially uh, everyone on your planet is just super bored and overworked. Uh, so what you decide to do is take all your friends to uh, Super Party Planet. Uh, so you grab them all on a bus, you start flying towards Super Party Planet, but then you crash uh, onto Super Chill World. Um, and as part of that, all your friends don't realize that they're on Super Chill World. They think you've arrived at Super Party Planet. Um, so they're just jumping out, just kicking things over and jumping about and causing a mess. And you're like, no, everyone, we're, we're not in the right place. So you go around trying to teleport them back to the bus so that you can uh, move on to Super Party Planet and they can have some fun there. But they're reluctant to go because they're, they're having a, the time of their lives. I mean, we're here at this huge event. Have you had a chance to walk the floor at all and see any of the other games maybe in the PAX 10? Or I know there's a crowd around your booth pretty much the entire time I've been around, it seems like. Yeah, no, that's, that's unfortunately one of the biggest things of exhibiting is sometimes we don't get a chance. We, we try as often as we can to move around, and often uh, it'll be first thing in the morning or as we're all packing down, we'll go and have a chat to the other devs. Like um, uh, the Tale of Two uh, team behind us, uh, TikTok, uh, that... That game looks phenomenal, and I'm, and I'm going to jump on there as soon as the expo's over. Um, but generally, I'll, I'll try doing a quick run of the PAX 10, and maybe first thing in the morning, just dart around and have a have a quick quick look at what I can. Where and when can we play uh, with the friends like these? Uh, so we're hoping to release late 2019. Uh, it'll be Switch and PC to begin with, uh, and then we're looking at bringing it to the other consoles after that. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers. Well, my name is uh, Adrian Miguel, um, and I work at Nomada Studio. I am the lead animator for Greece. Is it pronounced Gris or Greece? It's pronounced uh, actually like Greece, which okay. is Spanish. Okay. It's Spanish for gray. For gray. Yeah. Okay. And how long have you been working on this? We have been working on this for about two years now. Where did your inspiration come from for this game? Well, uh, this game is mostly Conrad Rousset's game. He's a very famous uh, Spanish illustrator. And he has worked uh, on galleries, on fashion and publicity. And he wanted to make a game. Um, the aesthetics of the game is mostly his style made video game. So, so did he do the art for the yeah. game? Yeah, yeah, he did uh, most of the art. Uh, he did all the art direction and creative direction also. How? were you involved in the making of this game? Well, I am the lead animator, so I am the guy who made a lot of drawings for the main character and for mostly everything that moves in the game. Uh, everything in the game is, is hand-draw. So it is digital, but everything is hand-draw. Every piece of the game is made by hand. So yeah, there are a lot of drawings here. That's pretty amazing. 
Thank you very much. What would you say is one of your biggest challenges with making this game? Well, making this game, uh, there are two big things for me as an animator. Because uh, first, uh, if you see the animation kind of really, really flows, it doesn't usually snap. And that's hard in 2D games uh, because the player can do everything it w he wants. So uh, it can interrupt everything. So we made a lot of uh, transitions. So there is a transition, you see, like uh, if, I, if I turn, we have a little transition. We have a little transition if I walk. If I start running, there's another transition. So that in uh, 3D games is kind of easier because the computer aids you to do it. But in, um, in a 2D game, you have to make it all from scratch. That was one big challenge. And you're about to see the other one, which is uh, have to do with uh, liquids. Uh, I am not a specialized in special effects, but I have to learn a lot uh, about uh, how liquids move and you will see why in a second. So this is the main antagonist of the game. We don't have combat, we don't have uh, death. We were trying to make a game that wouldn't be frustrating for the player, but we needed something that was an, an obstacle for the player. And uh, here we go, our liquid bird. All hand-drawn. That's pretty amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah. So what is the story of this game? So the story, uh, I cannot tell you uh, all the details, okay? But uh, what I can tell you is at the beginning of the game, uh, there is an, an event, a uh, traumatic event that happens to the main character, and that kickoffs all the adventure, you know? Uh, it's like an internal journey. Uh, most of the game is metaphorical. Uh, all the story is told textless, without, without no dialogue, no lore, no anything. And every part of the story is told through the environment and through the symbolism that you will see on the environment and cinematics. Have you ever made anything like this before? No, this, uh, well, this is the first game of the studio. Uh, I personally work on, on another game, uh, on other games before that. But uh, no, this is the first time that I work with a small team. Uh, everything is quite creative. Uh, you know, in a small team, it's easier to have your heard voice, your voice heard, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, it has been a real amazing journey, you know? Like, the team has been so cool. You cannot imagine, everybody working hard, making this vision, uh, came together, yeah. So does it feel like this is a, really a piece of you then? this creation? Nah, not that much because uh, this is mostly Conrad Rousset's baby, you know? Okay. He did so much for this game to make it so cohesive, you know? Like everything is, you know, he's a perfectionist, so it was like, no, this without perspective, this more geometrical, this with more detail, this with less detail. So, I mean, I help, but this is this is his work, you know. Uh, he, he cannot be here right now because we are uh, working on uh, wrapping up the game and we are focusing on that. Uh, and it's kind of a bummer because uh, I think he would love to be here with the fan. Is this the first time that you've shown off the game? Yeah, it's the first time that, that we show it to public. Like, uh, we have shown it on, on Gamescom, but only to press. And as you can see, like, uh, most of the game is not based on uh, skills. So, you can, most people can uh, play without, without trouble, you know? 
Uh, but we have some kind of puzzles that are not really hard per se, but they are kind of a, you gotta think a little while, you know? So there are more, there are a lot of jumps that at the first time is like, no, this is not so intuitive, but if you give it a second thought, it's so easy. It requires a little bit of persistence. Yeah, a little patience. But that's uh, one of the strengths of the game, I think, because uh, all the gameplay and the aesthetics and the atmospheres, that they are so meditative, so quiet. Like maybe here in PAX, uh, it's kind of harder to get that because we are around a lot of people, but the game has no pressure at all. So if you get stuck in a puzzle or something, you have all the time. It's, it's quite chill, you know? Yeah. Uh. It feels kind of like um, Monument Valley. Have you ever yeah, played that game? Of course, of course, yeah. Monument Valley uh, and Journey has been yeah. one of our first uh, biggest inspirations. And also for more gameplay, uh, we were inspired a lot by Inside. Okay, yeah. Like, like the way they uh, deal with, puzzle, with puzzles, you know? Yeah. Like they are not brute force, not a skill, but you gotta think for a while and it's like, oh yeah, of course, the solution is this. Oh. And there's elements of danger, but there's no... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we are, I, I think we are quite more relaxed than than, uh, than inside, but yeah. It's pretty wonderful. When is it going to be coming out? It's coming out on December, and it's coming out on PC and Nintendo Switch. Okay. Also Mac. It's going to be on Switch. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you should watch this, because this is a, one of the best parts of the game. It's like when you unlock a color, it's kind of a big deal in the story. Okay. And the world changes because there is a new color in the world. Okay. The, the, the um, title... Very muted before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the name of the game is Gris because when you begin, uh, all the world is gray. So the more you advance, the more colors there are. And the more colors there are, the more elements there are in the game. So you can interact with different elements uh, when you unlock all the colors. And that's tied to the story also. And what are these flying triangle things? What oh, these are butterflies. Okay. Yeah, but uh, we like to, you know, make everything a little more geometrical than it really are. Uh, so yeah, these are triangles, these are butterflies, yeah. Uh, also, uh, the music is made by the band called Berlinist. It's like Berlin, but Berlinist. And you can find it on Spotify. They are super good. And all this atmosphere and this uh, calm, but also emotion, uh, is, uh, it works with uh, the, the music, you know? It's interesting how there's no words and no interaction with other people and somehow you're you're setting the tone of the story so well just with like color and shapes and the sound yeah i i <laughs> i'm so happy it came together you know yeah. because we we weren't sh sure that this was gonna go work you know yeah. and at the end kind of everything fall into place and yeah we're we're super happy and we're super happy with the reaction from people here at pax it has been amazing you killed it. You knocked it out of the park. It looks amazing. Oh, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you very much. Hey, Geekscapists. Uh, Derek here uh, from PAX West down in Seattle. I'm here with uh, Jahansip and Jason. Um, they're both here working on 
e- a new MMO from Bandai Namco called Bless Unleashed. Uh, I just had an opportunity to play through the demo a couple times, uh, and I had a blast. So I'm just here to ask them a few questions. Um, game just got announced. I know back home in Vancouver, um, not a lot of people had heard about it yet. Can you tell us a little bit about the game for those that might not know so far? Sure. Uh, so Blessed Unleashed is an action MMORPG. Uh, five classes uh, at launch, and um, it's an open world, uh, you know, no loading between zones. Um, but we really want to emphasize the action-oriented uh, nature of it. A lot of MMOs, as I was telling you, you know, they're just ported over. This was built practically from the ground up. So uh, we named it uh, Bless Unleashed. Um, the Unleashed part of that was very important to us because we wanted people to know that this was kind of like unrestrained. You know, you're not. This is an MMO that's not created for like the keyboard and the mouse. It's more for the console, the controller, and the couch. You know, so uh, it's 4K. It's a beautiful MMO, um, and uh, I think the action is is really the focus of it. Um, there is a P- the PC version, um, but the PC version is a completely different version than this game. Um, so it's uh, you know it's a new engine. It's Unreal Engine 4, new storyline, new progression. New combat. Uh, we have the combo system, um, and uh, yeah, I, I and new future new features as well. Um, quite a few that are different from uh, the PC version. So the PC version was developed by a different studio at mm-hmm. NeoWiz, New and this was being developed um, concurrently by a different team. Uh, so you talk about it being an MMO. Um, of course, I played kind of by myself a little bit. What does the what does the game look like when you're playing with other players? Is it like a traditional MMO in terms of quests and stuff like that um, and, and World Hub and all that sort of thing? Or can you speak a little bit more about what I'm going to do with my friends in the game? Yeah. So, Jason, can you talk a bit about all the different kind of group-related? Group-related. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, like, dungeons and... Oh yeah, bosses. definitely. Yeah. Uh, we we are really focusing on open world features as well. So we have a bunch of named monsters, the elite monsters on the open field. So people can easily engage in uh, combat freely. Uh, and we also have group contents as well, dungeons, a lot of dungeons, and we want to have raid dungeons. And we also have PvP contents and instant spaces, battlegrounds as well. Mm-hmm. Partway through playing the big thing I noticed and I kind of mentioned it before we started the combat feels so fluid and you know if somebody like just walking the show floor saw that game like they I don't know that they would think it was a traditional MMO it feels like an action game and it feels like a fluid action game this demo you were playing it's really just I mean it's an MMO obviously but we wanted to focus on the combat and controls Mm -hmm. um and really you know it's you know people who have played the PC version as soon as they like pick up a controller and play this, it's immediately noticeable how different it is, you know? Um, and so we we wanted people to try it out, and um, it's cool that you, you know, you felt like it was a single-player experience. The f- you know, I, I, the first time I played it, um, so I j- joined Bandai Namco earlier this year, uh, so I was playing on an earlier build, and I had, it felt like, you know, one of those console action mm-hmm. RPGs I had played. The first game that actually came to my mind was Dragon Age Inquisition. Oh, I told yeah, J- Jason, I like, I, yeah. So um, some of the other examples you mentioned, yeah, uh, that's that's great to hear. Yeah. 
Uh, and you talk about five classes so far. So there's three that you're showing right now. Can you tell us a little bit about each one? I'm, yeah. A couple of may not have been revealed so, yet. But. Uh, you're playing the Defender class, which is kind of general purpose. Uh, it's also sort of a tank. Um, I don't know if you tried the Berserker yet. Not yet. So the Berserker is a bit slower, but um, you can kind of feel the weight of the weapons, mm-hmm. and it's much more powerful. And then there's the Ranger. So the Ranger, um, some of the combos that you could have you know, experimented with, you know, you have the um, the yeah, the different kind of ranged attacks. Um, has a power shot, um, and then there's some close range combos as well. When I've seen the uh, quite a few people play the Ranger, actually, um, they use the power shot a lot, mm. um, which is which is interesting. You know, I can see why people do that because it's so powerful, but um, it's actually better used when you're in a group because mm. you know you have other players kind of distracting the enemies you're facing, right. and then they give the, the Ranger the to, time to charge yeah. up and fire from the background. The other two classes um, we're going to have are the Mage and the Priest. Mm. Um, Priest, we actually might change the name of it, um, but you know, Priest is like a healer class, and then the Mage is, uh, yeah, magic kind of attack. Is there anything else about the Mage and Priest? Uh, priest is basically designed as a healer, but it, it is also working as a dealer as well. Mm-hmm. So the our game is not... Uh, Something like a traditional tanker, dealer, healer, not, not, mm-hmm. this, not mm-hmm. like. So actually priest is focusing on heal. Uh, priest is also needed to focusing on heal because he, he is supposed to heal, um, to, to make a higher deal as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the one of point. Yeah. And the Maisie, it has, Quite complicated mechanisms, mm-hmm. like you know what 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 do you say in English? Mm-hmm. The the transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're almost solo. Can are they? They they're kind of soloable, right? They're not dependent on each other as much in this game. Is that correct? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, I I vaguely recall hearing. Um, Jason can correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, that like in a lot of MMOs, you're kind of like, I've had this experience in the past where I'm like, I can't, I'm looking for classes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that I'm dependent yes, on to actually yeah. uh, play the game. Right. Uh, so you're kind of like, I've left MMOs in the past where it's just like, can't find a group, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> like, well, I know you, like I've been in situations where you, yeah. you play with the same groups and you've, you get a close group and, and then you, you know, like your healer or your tank is not available and then it limits what you can yeah. do in the game. It sounds like that won't be the case this time around. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think there's some more, yeah, some, uh, like group interactions, like the, um, uh, like the voice chat as well you know so this is the other challenge with console is you know you have some people with keyboards mm-hmm. but um can you talk a bit about the voice chat i think it's based around the bonfire and yeah. oh yeah we, mm-hmm. we we provide two types of voice settings first one is of course for party and the other one is for bonfire we have a bonfire when user dies they they will resurrect on the bonfire and uh we we don't pro- provide any you know HP regeneration naturally. Yeah, the only place 
user can regenerate their HP is Vampire, around Vampire. So people usually get together, mm. together and, and, uh, yeah. and uh, around the Vampire, each Vampire, they can easily talk with yeah. other players via voice chat. Mm. I, I mean, I kind of, I, I don't know why I keep hearkening it to Monster Hunter. It felt like, <laughs> it just felt like I wanted that game to be, but um, is is there similar elements in terms of like your hunting for resources to craft better weapons and all of that sort of stuff? Or what does the weapon uh, and, and equipment system look like in a game like Bless Unleashed? So in a basic manner, uh, as you mentioned, right, your observation is right. We do have the crafting system. You'll be co uh, collecting all kinds of different materials. There is not a single material in the game that's actually useless. So we'll be collecting them and everywhere, and you craft weapons. And so two different actual ways to go. One is actually pretty intuitive. You actually go around, actually you mine different rocks and actually collect different things from like plants and things around the plane, which is pretty straightforward. The other one is a little more uh, layered. Um, there's a housing system, I, I think you might know. So in a housing system where you actually have to now uh, gather resources or uh, create contracts with different people and uh, humanoids that you encounter, not enslave them. <laughs> and then they will actually create those materials for you, so kind of in a secondary manner. So like two different systems. Right, so you have like an estate with multiple plots of land, oh, cool. and then you can have different building types. So there's a tavern, uh, there's a player house. I think there's also another kind of main building. And then, you know, you can yeah. configure your, your plots of land to, you know, use different resources and different kinds of tameable creatures. So those can be, you know, uh, animals, beasts, but also uh, like humanoid NPCs that you contract. I, you know, being an MMO, I think story in terms of something like that is very important. Can you speak to as to what the game's about plot-wise at all? So let me try. <laughs> so, um, have you talked about Bless Online and Bless Unleashed? A little bit, yeah. Okay. Little bit. I haven't so, got into the story. Okay, got it. So the Bless Online portion of the world, a lot of people think, oh, it's a, it's a remake, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a port, or uh, just think about it in a way that it's a completely different, uh, it's the same universe in parallel, parallel universe. Uh, it doesn't matter the chronology or setup or anything uh, at all. So you don't have to uh, relate any storylines between the two. You don't have to know anything at all. So in uh, Bless World, um, there are actually different uh, gods uh, in the game. And uh, we wanted to actually make it more kind of primal so that it's actually understandable for a lot of people, but we actually wanted to inject different plots in it so it's not boring. Um, so when you actually, when the game comes out, uh, you'll be in, in a zone uh, that you just cannot see uh, right now because in the current build, but we can. <laughs> but in this zone, um, you find yourself being kind of housed 
in a very beautiful coastal town. Um, and there you're, you're guarded by this, uh, this, uh, this beautiful um, guardian, uh, powerful mage, um, and uh, thousands of year old uh, uh, mage. And you, you wander around and you start the journey thinking that uh, you, you are protected by this uh, guardian lady. And then uh, you later find out that she was actually holding you down. She was actually watching over you for not only the protection, but also wanting to actually contain you. Because you, there is something special about you guys. That's kind of how the whole storyline goes. So in the blessed universe, <clears throat> the world uh, is, uh, is, it's like kind of Greek mythology. The gods, there are many gods. And they're in competition. And they're a huge kind of like the divine war between uh, against each other. And they killed each other, actually, gods in the past. And there's very powerful God uh, kind of somehow kind of ended the war and basically announced that gods cannot kill each other. Mm. So the gods still want to kill each other because they have, <laughs> they have kind of human-like minds like Greek mythology. So they actually uh, plot different ways to take each other down. And there are some people that are created. And I get, in, in midst of all these uh, chaos, uh, the people, with, uh, special people that contain certain type of elements and essence in their in their body and spirit, and I think it's Illumina or, uh, or um, some sort of a shard of a special stone <laughs> that actually makes you special, and that's why you're contained in that area because if you're used wrong, you can kill God. So. Now the whole plot starts where the competing god is actually trying to come down and he's trying to misguide you to take the god. So there are a lot of multiple plots around it, but it's, it's basically humans are, you, you're no longer human, it's kind of like demi-god, so, but you can turn into god slayer, is how the overall storyline goes. But actually, uh, but but the the final plot behind it uh, is not going to be. I mean, I haven't talked talked about it. But actually, you, you are a special being that is actually going in competition of gods. Yeah, but you don't know which. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. Uh, and so, in in regards to it being an MMO, are there is it like a subscription model? Is it like a Guild Wars where you buy it and 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 then can just play it as long as you want, or what's the monetization strategy there? So we're completely free to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh yeah just uh you know when it's launched go ahead try it out if you like it stick around if you don't like it you don't have to you know you, you haven't paid anything for it so yeah. uh and i mean on that note when can when can we play more we're uh spring yeah spring, spring. we'll be out in spring yeah awesome thank you guys so much i've had a blast the games i i, I honestly i can't wait <laughs> Okay, my name is Michaela. I'm with Geekscape Games. Who are you? I'm Charles from Sweet Bandit Studios, and we're talking about Coffence. And what is Coffence? Okay, Coffence is a coffee-themed fighting game. Yeah. Uh, the aim of the game is trying for so in Coffence, the character's life is their coffee, and their weapon is their cup. So they're trying to empty each other's cups, and they do that by hitting each other's cups. And when the the score hit, the vintage coffee comes flying up, and that's health. So they can grab it by touching with air cup then because air health. 
And I was, as I was mentioning, this was actually loosely based on a true story where we used to work at Activision. So we, we worked in Beanox, one of the studios in Quebec City. And we had three floors, but two of the coffee machines were out. So just the one on our floor was okay. So there was this line waiting for coffee. And Phil, our game designer, came in and tried to cut in line. So, so we said, hey, Phil, go back. So we're all waiting for coffee. Go back. Sit. No, 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 guys, you, you don't understand. I really need it this morning, so I'll fight you for it. So he kept joking about, like, fighting with cups. So when we decided to get out of Activision and looking at the engines, we chose an engine. We said, hey, decided to make, like, a joke game out of that event. So at first it was really physics-based to test, actually, physics and animation. So we were just goofing around making, like, this physics-based game on coffee cups. And our friends came over and played that or demo and said, you guys, this is really good. You need to make this into an actual game. So he said, no, 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 we got plans to do like another game. It's going to be hot. Said, no, but what you got here is hot. So, so I, okay, we looked at it and said, okay, yeah, well, we can actually make that into a game. So Coffins, and we love fighting games. We're a fan of fighting games. Yeah. Keep watching. So, so we, we took a lot of things from, from fighting games and we wanted to, so we're, we're, we're all bad at combos, playing at combos. So we decided to add like a new skill, which was the aiming mechanic. So that's why we chose not to hit the characters, we wanted to hit the cops. Okay. Also, we're coming out of Activision, uh, working on Call of Duty, so heavy stuff. And I look at my children and say, I'm going to leave Activision to do something else that's more in line of what I think is right. Yeah. And then we wanted to make like this whimsical game, just two friends <laughs> fighting over coffee. And oh, so nobody gets actually hurt in this game. Totally. Yeah, just... It does, now that you mention it, it does have like the Mortal Kombat feel where you're yeah. like two people pitted against each other and you're trying to hit the right buttons at the right time. Yeah, it's a lot about it. A lot of people compare it to a dive kick where you have to, to evaluate. So so he's at that range, so he's probably going to come in this way. So yeah. so you have to figure out, is he going to dash in and bring in with a melee? And you can counter that with a block or he's coming with a, a range attack. Then it can just straight away counter it with a melee. Yeah. So it's a lot about reading your opponent. There's mind games in there. But the basic moveset is really simple. So well, that's the thing. It seems like you can get really in depth with it and like have strategy, we, or you can be me and just button mash, and you might actually manage <laughs> to make it through. Well, most people just get in and pick one move. So any fighter, you can button mash, and your first mash is probably going to go okay. But then you hit this Waterloo. Either yeah. someone knows how to counter yeah. that. Um, we actually went to Evo in 2017. Uh, what 2017? Yeah, and. Uh, the Hebo crowd really loved the, the depth and what we borrowed from much fighting games. So block canceling and just move, just uh, the air dash. The, the the anime fighter crowd was out. Oh, you can air dash. So so we put a lot of we borrowed a lot from fighting games and tried to put in like this is our love child for the first game we're doing at the studio, and feel it's a lot of fun. Well, and you can tell it's your love child. I love how like bright and happy it is yeah. too, and it's like guys in business suits. <laughs> We actually have a story mode in there. That's how you unlock uh, special cops and the, the boss character from there. So you get like, so we loved also like the Phoenix Wright kind of like text text uh, adventures and whatnot. So decided to have like a story mode where you get like the lore of the, the game in as you play. And it's like, I think it's stupid stuff because it's people fighting over coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure everyone can relate on some level <laughs> to that situation. Actually, there's a situation where so you can drink your coffee. Oh, and wow. So I'm just going to empty out my cup, actually, because I want to show you. There's one one of the ways you can lose is that you can drink yourself to defeat. 
So once, once it's gone, get this moment, drink yourself to defeat. And a lot of people say, don't we all? <laughs> oh, and he's just so tired now. Yeah. So yeah, we wanted to show like, the guy was depressed, but he's still okay. He's not, he's not bruised. He's just yeah. depressed. Yeah. And it, so no more caffeine for him. He's just going to have to go to bed early. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you very much thank for explaining you. it to me and stick around so I can actually play it. For yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>Hey Geekscapists, Derek back again uh, over at PAX West in Seattle. Uh, I just played through a really cool cyberpunk uh, game demo called Observer. Um, I'm here with Rafal, brand manager and producer for Bloober Team. Um, you may know them from the game Layers of Fear, which scared the hell out of me uh, uh, on Xbox One last year. Um, how are you doing today? How's the convention been for you so far? Hi guys, uh, doing pretty well actually. Uh, uh, a lot of hype going on. Observer going on to Nintendo Switch, which we announced basically this PAX, uh, so it's going pretty well. Hope to bring you the best horror experience on Nintendo Switch very soon. Uh, and the game just launched for PC and Xbox One and PS4. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it for those that might not know? It actually launched August last year. So August last year? I thought it was yeah. August this year. Yeah, okay. it's August last year. It, was, it went pretty well. Like It got really good reviews, which... Uh, made us feel so much better because so much heart was put into this game and well basically it's not a easy game like in in the sense of how people perceive the story uh there's a lot of storylines plot lines going in and out in the game telling the stories of regular people in this very dark and oppressive cyberpunk world uh, so yeah we were really really hyped to to have that uh on the market and getting so good reception um, and yeah, like uh, the Nintendo Switch version, uh, hopefully it will reach out to people who never played horror games and uh, people who like to take their, their horror into you know, dark and abandoned buildings to play in the night and kind of freak out even more, which would be so awesome. Uh, atmospherically, it feels pretty amazing. I'm actually a little bit glad we're sitting in a brightly lit room in, a, in this hotel because uh, I know with Layers of Fear, I had to turn it off and take breaks multiple times. And so I was a little bit worried jumping into this. Um, you you mentioned kind of it's a much more psychological. I mean, Layers of Fear was very psychological as well, but it's not as jump scare. It's very psychological atmosphere-wise. Can you tell us a little bit about like the mechanics of uh, how that works in the game itself? Yeah, sure. Like the biggest focus for us was basically create this oppressive world that you explore so we focused mainly on the atmosphere on on the immersion in the game uh, so we build the world in very small details everything uh, kind of connects to to create this very dark dystopia uh, gameplay wise it's a more robust game than Layers of Fear was uh, I kind of play this neural detective uh, that basically he does his cop job which means uh, investigating crime scenes and basically at the very end hacking into the minds of other people uh, but for the most part he will be able to walk around in the real world kind of scan the environment uh, into two different scan modes one for uh, kind of technical uh, anomalies or basically technical scans the other one is for bioscience so uh, pieces of like pieces <laughs> blood or, or, or hair or whatever uh, you can roam around the world uh, and 
gather evidence that will probably lead you to to the next person that kind of needs to be interrogated. Uh, but yeah, plot-wise, uh, it's a game about um, a father who kind of lost his son. His estranged son calls him. He uh, responds to the cry for help, goes to this old tenement building, uh, where when he gets there, like all kinds of weird stuff happens. So you need to figure out like what's going on, how your son ties into all of that. So investigation, mind hacking, um, exploration, uh, a lot of dialogues uh, to kind of learn about the world and learn about the, the tenants and the, the people living in this world, all combining to this very dark and gritty setting. Uh, and speaking of the setting, it's obviously very different from Bluebird Team's last game. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration as to why why you guys chose this setting for your next game? Sure. Um, like one thing we want to do in Bluebird Team is to basically bring horror games to places that horror wasn't previous uh, earlier. So Flares of Fear, we kind of took the classical paintings, which is probably very rarely used in culture, not to mention um, the game uh, industry. Uh, with Observer, it was like, what kind of next game you want to make? And suddenly uh, our screenwriter said, Let, let's do a cyberpunk game. And we were like, yes, that's, <laughs> that's a great idea. Uh, so we kind of started exploring uh, this further more. Like there was no discussion within within the company. It was like a, a set idea once mm -hmm. it popped out. Um, so obviously we wanted to do something differently from what you know from uh, Japanese cyberpunk, and I mean you know stuff like Akira or Ghost in the Shell, uh, and also do something differently from what the U.S. cyberpunk stands for. So something. Uh, like Blade Runner or uh, Johnny Mnemonic. Um, so our main focus in building the world was uh, that we set this world in Central Eastern Europe, uh, including everything that connects with this. So um, the architecture, the kind of Easter eggs that you can find in the game, uh, the idea was to kind of make this retro cyberpunk. So you can find CRT TVs, uh, plugged in into some high-tech holograms or whatnot. Um, and it's all because we wanted to bring a little bit of our past. So we are a Polish developer um, until 1989. We're actually under Soviet rule. Um, so basically, at that time, uh, life was really, really different. Uh, but the funny thing was that like there was a small amount of furniture you could get, like if you go from house to house, like everyone would have the same furniture. Mm -hmm. So basically that's present in the game as well. So people from the central or uh, central Eastern Europe uh, will definitely figure out these things, figure out these Easter eggs, that the whole culture that we put into the game. Uh, and hopefully we will have a smile uh, when seeing this. And also it's um, very unique for uh, for. Uh, a Western audience or Far East audience, and hopefully we've made a, a piece of a world uh, that's very unique on the market right now. Uh, it definitely felt unique when I was playing through the demo. I loved um, 
things get pretty crazy and and, and uh, hectic when you're in the mind jacking section of that. It felt like there, you know, of course the Nintendo Switch is not as powerful as some of the other platforms that this console is on, um, but it didn't feel like it was limited in terms of the particles or anything that you were seeing on the screen. How how has the adaptation process been so far? And um, yeah, what can people expect from the Switch version that's different from the uh, other platforms? Yeah, the focus here is to bring the best-looking game on Nintendo Switch. So we are doing whatever we can to kind of preserve uh, the highest quality of uh, visual quality, than visual and audio, obviously, quality that we can get. So we are doing what we can to kind of preserve everything that you could see on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One uh, on Nintendo Switch. Obviously, it won't be one-to-one. Uh, well, the console is not so powerful. Uh, however, we're doing a lot of work to actually make it happen. And basically, if you run a PS4 version next to a Nintendo Switch version, you shouldn't feel the differences. If you are not a visual aficionado, like you won't go into the very small details. So we want to preserve as many particles or many as many fog effects, uh, high quality textures. Um, so. This is still a work in progress. Uh, you've seen the demo. Hopefully, it kind of gives you a glimpse on what the final quality will be, and that's what we are striving for. All, uh, all the same, while preserving uh, a steady frame count for the game. Uh, and you also mentioned earlier when we were talking that you're also looking at adding some of the Switch's unique benefits to the yes. game as well, correct? Yes, yes, correct. So uh, this will be still the observer you know for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. However, it will be packed with Nintendo Switch features, which include the full Joy-Con uh, support controls, so motion controls. So if you do regular stuff, like even opening a door, you can just grab the handle and move your wrist uh, to kind of push or pull the door. Um, we'll be adding a lot of attention to the HD Rumble feature, which will give that additional haptic and uh, tactile feeling and immersion to the game. Uh, if you are a person who rather play on a in the handheld mode, there will be uh, touchscreen options for you, uh, help you maybe solve puzzles, help you kind of roam through the PCs that are in the game. Um, so yeah, we want to make the Nintendo Switch version the, the best version of the game that's that will be on the market. Uh, and obviously, you guys are big horror fans. Are there any? Uh, what are some of your favorite uh, horror titles around the office? Uh, video game or movie or whatever? Uh, I think like a lot of well, the company is comprised mostly of horror fans. Obviously, uh, it's really hard to say well, like <laughs> what's the, the, the favorite one we have. People who absolutely love uh, Evil Dead and basically Ash versus Evil Dead nowadays when they made a series. Uh, people love Alien, uh, which basically is probably my favorite horror movie. Uh, but yeah, like it's so hard to pick a <laughs> pick something sure. up. Like so much of a, of good in horror. And what I always enjoyed uh, horror the most uh, is that it's so open when it comes to the genre. So, like something that I hope we can we do prove with our games, so we can have this classic haunted house kind of vibe that will still be a little bit different because it's it's about uh, an artist and and painting and the workflow and process of creating something something grand. 
And then again, we have a, a horror game that's set in this very dark and dystopian cyberpunk world, which you would not necessarily connect uh, if you thought about horror. So uh, the openness of, of the horror genre is something that it's really it works really well with our imagination and hopefully we'll be bringing you more and more uh cool settings and cool worlds for you to play i can't wait uh, uh of course observer on the switch is still in development like you said is there a release window or anything at this point or uh not yet at this point uh hopefully it will be soon uh definitely if we have something shared, we will be doing this pretty loudly and <laughs> i hope you will hear about the launch of the game soon Awesome. I can't wait. Thanks for taking the time with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, I'm Julian. I'm the content director at Jurassic Games, and uh, we're showing off our debut title, Soundfall, here at PAX West. And do you want to tell us a little bit about Soundfall? Yeah, absolutely. So Soundfall is a rhythm-driven dungeon crawler. Uh, the idea is that all of your actions uh, take place to the, to the beat of the music. So you're going to shoot your gun, swing your sword, and uh, dash around on beat. We kind of imagine it like light beatboxing. Uh, and then the worlds that you're in um, are all generated procedurally to the music that you're listening to. So we grab things like how much treble there is, how much bass there is, how fast the music is, how consistent the beat is, and then kind of under the hood decide what sort of an environment we, we want to create with that. And then the game goes ahead and creates a world that's reacting dynamically to the music as, uh, as it's being played. It's pretty incredible. Where did you find the inspiration for this? Um, well, nicely to say, uh, the game kind of emerged pretty organically. So when Nick Cooper and I jumped ship from Epic to, to start Drastic, we sort of spitballed a couple ideas, threw things around, and one of them that really stuck was, uh, was music. Um, and the twin stick element came um, because of its versatility. We sort of knew that we wanted to build a project that, uh, that would give us flexibility for future projects. Um, and at some point in the development cycle of a game, the game usually starts telling you what it wants to be. So we tried a couple of things early on and um, pretty as soon as we kind of added the metronome and some other on-beat elements, the game just said, hey, this is what I am. And then we listened to it from there on out and Soundfall kind of this is the natural product of that. Did you have some sort of background in music or interest in music outside of this anyways? I mean, we obviously love listening to music um, and, you know, have both, I don't know, been involved peripherally with music, but neither of us have a technical background in music. Um, in fact, I think largely that's probably one of the things that drove Nick Cooper, our, our technical director, into this game is he loves a challenge and music was this big unknown for him. So I think that, that drove a lot of inspiration to, 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 to deal with all of the audio analysis that is a necessary part of this project. Totally. Would you say that that's one of the biggest challenges of this project, or what? what's your biggest challenge so far? Oh, yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think the audio analysis is certainly being one of the larger challenges. Uh, we've done everything from, like, written our own uh, analysis to bringing in external libraries, um, and uh, it's been a monumental effort on that side, but I think the result is, is pretty, uh, pretty fantastic. I think the the other really challenging aspect is figuring out what elements need to be on beat and what elements need to be off beat. Kind of like what we talked about while we were playing the game. Um, uh, 
no, no matter how, there's so much information going on on the screen with music, you know, trees are moving, bushes are bouncing, how you convey all of the relevant information to the player um, with such a manic experience uh, has been, has been a, a really interesting design challenge for sure. Well, and you managed to do a great job. Visually, it's super entertaining. How did you decide to do that kind of art style? Um, uh, once again, it came out somewhat organically. When we initially tried to conceive of the art for Soundfall, we really imagined very simple shapes um, and uh, didn't even imagine a, 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 a bipedal protagonist. But, um, but eventually the game sort of started telling us that it needed a little bit more. Uh, in our foolishness, we thought stylized games would be easier to produce artistically, and, uh, and, that, uh, and so that drove some of the decision. But as soon as the game kind of found itself, you know, we brought on Nicholas Cole, an incredibly talented concept artist, to do the work for us. You know, his vision or his look for the game really dictated a lot of how we wanted to flesh that world space out. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, when does it come out? Uh, Soundfall, we expect to release sometime at the end of 2019 on Switch, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. So hopefully you've got, got something that you can play it on. Awesome, well thank you so much. It's an incredible game, I look forward to playing it. Thanks, Kayla, really appreciate that. My name is Michaela. I'm from Geekscape uh, for the Geekscape Games podcast. Uh, who are you? I'm Lynn Sovic. I'm from Henchman and Goon in Norway uh, and also the developers of the great game Code. And what is it that you I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm kind of uh, in between a few things right now, but pretty much is, uh, responsible for PR and marketing communication and also communication with uh, platform holders so we've decided whether we haven't decided whether to call me a marketing manager or a publishing manager and then yeah and how long has this developer been around for about six years we just recently had a anniversary yeah what other titles do you have we have another uh, platform game called Flem, which came out on the PS Vita and also Steam completely different from Pode, but it was a great learning experience and it's actually quite a cool game it's hard so it's a hardcore uh, indie game really but, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about Pode? so Pode is a couch co-op game uh, exploration puzzles and um, it's about this uh, fallen star that needs to return back home and the fallen star's name is Glow and Glow meets this rock-like figure from the mountains called Boulder. And Boulder says, oh man, I feel so bad for you. Listen, you know, I've heard of this um, tale about this uh, magical mountain behind us that has this secret passageway that we can maybe find your way home through. So let's go there and explore. And so Boulder and Glow go and explore this mountain and come across different types of puzzles. And they learn a lot about themselves as well. They have very different abilities, but they complement each other into solving these puzzles. And they meet different types of environments like lava, wind, water, ice, and, um, and keep getting further and further along, put it that way.
I won't reveal the ending. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that y- there's such an articulate story around it when this story is told without words at all. What what made that decision? Who made that decision? Why is that the way it's presented? That's very much um, uh, the game director, uh, Ingvild Hupen's uh, desire. And it's also her... Um, I want to say partner, um, the game designer as well, Henriks. Uh, uh, they, they both are very uh, passionate about storytelling through gameplay, mm-hmm. and that means a lot to them. Uh, so they're very, yeah, that, this, is, this is definitely something that you're going to see much more from Henchmen and Goon uh, as well, because this is important to us when we do, we, we believe in great storytelling through gameplay. And you're killing it. <laughs> Where did the inspiration for this story come from? Um, well, it's Ingvild's idea, and she, she knew that she wanted to create a game um, where the two characters were completely different. Uh, and then I think she'd already started a little bit on that, and then she realized that she wanted to have a game that she could actually play with her son as well. Um, so uh, a lot of kids' games are maybe not catered for adults to enjoy as well. Um, so she wanted to have a game that uh, challenged her, but at the same time uh, her son could uh, interact with and they could talk together and, and, and solve puzzles together as well. So I've, I've often found that what Henchman and Goon has done uh, with Poe is exactly what Pixar did with animation film for a while. It was because both had adult humor and kids' humor at the same time, and we've tried doing that only with gameplay. But, yeah. It also re- works really well for somebody who's not so good at the games who wants to participate and really likes the art in it. Yeah, one piece that I love, just how simple it is to switch characters, because, like you said, they're very different. They have very different abilities. Um, Glow may be needed in a section where Boulder is needed somewhere else, and, and if there's a skill disparity between the players, you can literally press A button on the controller to switch those roles. Um, we argued about it a little bit when we were playing, <laughs> but um, it made us progress a little bit faster, a little bit easier. So I, I, I love that rather than needing to, you know, in a, especially in the case of a kid, like, hey, give me your controller or whatever, like, let's, let's move on to the next section. Um, you can just kind of cooperate and, and press a button to do that. Um, I, thought, I, just, I thought that was pretty cool. I feel that way just as a girlfriend. I mean, <laughs> if I'm playing with somebody, like, boyfriend, and he takes the controller away from me as if I can't do it, that just ruins the whole experience to me. I understand those feels. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'd love to hear, like, obviously this is audio. We're going to be putting up some images and some video and stuff as well. This game is freaking beautiful. Um, the art style is really, really incredible. I love how much it changes even as you're walking through an environment because, you know, the sun can grow plants and the uh, boulder has the ability to, to change the environment and the minerals in the area. Um, what was some of the inspiration for the art work in this game? Um, well, Ingvild, um, the art director and game director, and also our CEO, by the way, she has very many hats. Um, she uh, wanted to, um, I don't know if it's an exactly an homage, but she wanted to at least use uh, a lot of her national references. So in uh, Norway, we have a classic art style called rose painting, and she was very heavily influenced by that. And also, um, so... I feel also I should mention that the rose painting as well has a, embraces the Norwegian nature, the whole um, Nordic uh, leaves and, and flowers. 
and uh, she was also inspired very much by the embroideries that we have in our national dress and everything. So she's she's brought a lot of historic uh, Norwegian art uh, into uh, the game medium, which I think is pretty awesome. It's pretty cool to draw some attention to that yeah. and make it part of a modern yeah. phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, are the bright color because there's a lot of like neon and bright colors in a very dark setting which is an interesting contrast um, is that part of the Norwegian art style as well yeah okay it's uh, where we come from a very dark country <laughs> very uh, mountainous and dark country I mean our winters are only dark and but our summers are so bright and so it's that collaboration that's um, that, that it, it's, it resonates very much in all of our art, really, that, because we love the darkness and we also love the, the brightness. So it's that combination that's very Norwegian, actually, in Nordic, yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful combination. Um, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges you've faced making this game? I don't know, it depends on who you ask. I mean, if you ask... Um, uh, the game designer and uh, the programmer, there were some issues with Unity, um, but they love working in Unity, so I'm not saying they didn't like that. It's just uh, they lately they've been commenting that a lot of the issues that they had, Unity has now fixed <laughs> on their newer version, and um, so it's pretty much that. And um, I know uh, the game designer doesn't really want to have anything that grows uh, in the next game. Um, so, but I sh- really shouldn't be talking about technical issues because I really don't know, but I'm listening to what the, the feedback that they're coming with. Um, the other thing, I mean, from my perspective, which is more on marketing and PR, is couch co-op games and how to sell that. Um, it's not... It's not um, packageable as an indie game uh, poet isn't and it's not packageable as a kids game either so it's been a little bit of a challenge finding a way to to package the product but other than that it feels like it was always meant to be I mean Ingma's done such a great job um, and it's uh, yeah like I, I love the fact that it's a couch cop you know I feel like we that's something I dearly miss and we don't see nearly enough of these days and and I feel like it's getting a little bit of a resurgence as well with I mean unique games like this and and you know EA started that new line with a way out and everything like that which is it was a really awesome experience um is there is there a, can you play it on your own as well or are you yeah you can yeah um, so in that case, how does the how does the game or the controls differ if you're playing on your own? You play both characters, uh, so the same way that you could switch characters when you were playing both, uh, you could do that uh, a single player as well. And but uh, a lot of us like playing games on our own as well, so we were very adamant on making sure that it was playable as a single player. Uh, so a few things uh, that they've put in there, like for example, you can ride the other one's head, um, and you can also hold hands, uh, which will use both of the abilities at the same time. So we have a lot of mechanics in there to make it easier to play both characters at the same time. And uh, and so the game's available now on Switch and is coming out. Is there a release window for the PS4 version at this point, or? Well. We, are, we have actually gone so far as to say that it's probably coming in October. So let's say October, November to be on the safe side, but we definitely want to have it on this side of Christmas. It's pretty much finished and ready to go. It's just getting it through all the processes that it needs to. 
and we so we had an opportunity to play through a, a couple of levels here as well as the tutorial. Um, it looks like there's a few kind of you kind of mentioned kind of different biomes and different environments. Do those do the characters react differently to to you know like a lava level? Is one of the characters going to be able to handle certain things better there? Um, and how many levels are there in the game as well? Oh man, I was gonna update myself on that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure no, there's nine levels, and then there's lots of sub-levels underneath that. Um, but yeah, uh, the characters react very much differently. Like you two probably noticed, uh, Boulder is a much a heavier character because he's made of rock, and Glow is much lighter and, and floats. So when you encounter wind, for example, Glow will just drift off like you know, a helium balloon maybe, whilst Boulder will just sink down, and same when it comes to water and lava and so on. And all of these are strengths and weaknesses in different types of levels. So, yeah, and yeah, I'm not going to spoil too much, but <laughs> but they, they get more and more abilities along the way, uh, and which uh, help you uh, a lot uh, encountering these different environments. And, and I, yeah, and I feel like once you, uh, af you know, after just a few minutes of playing, you kind of wrap your head around those weight differences, and and you know, we were there's a moment where globe grew up like a plant and it was like well now but she's she's not can't jump high enough to get up onto it but uh, I was able to get to it and sink it down uh, so that sort of thing which was just just like getting having to think about the physics aspect of it as well just because these characters are so different it's not just like they're there's just one thing that's different about them like they do feel totally different which was I thought was pretty cool well and it does end up feeling very intuitive like once you kind of know what the boundaries of the character are you you know how you can work together mm -hmm. to accomplish something. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, you're saying that, and I feel like I should explain what pod actually means mm -hmm. in yes. Norwegian. Uh, so we have a double uh, meaning for it. Um, the actual sort of dictionary meaning for pod is when you graft one plant uh, with another plant and cr create a whole new plant. Um, that's our actual dictionary meaning and it's also a way that we talk about our kids affectionately so we talk about oh look at those little poets running around being rascals in a way right yeah but in an affectionate manner not rascals but yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's just we felt that that combination was great I mean the growing things I think you two definitely understand that have played the game now but it's also you, you do become quite attached to these characters and, and you notice their Inabilities and their 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 strengths and um, yeah. Well, and there's something kind of endearing and touching about how vulnerable they are yeah. and how how much stronger they are together. And seeing them work together is pretty pretty lovely. And holding hands. And holding hands, they hold it's it and normal. they wait for each other. I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to leave you behind, but it won't let me. <laughs> No. And I, yeah, I loved it. Just and it's not just like he just keeps trying to run, but there's like a wall there. Like he actually like turns around yeah. and like just kind of looks in the direction of yeah. the other character. Yeah, yeah it was really yeah. cute. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Lynn. Thank you for playing. We look forward to being able to play it more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>So my name is Michaela. What's your name? And I'm Chad Desern. And who are you? I'm the CCO at Insomniac Games. Yeah, awesome. And so what does that mean? What do you do? <laughs> well, um, 
That means that I lead a really talented team of creative directors and game directors across uh, all Insomniac projects, but especially Stormland, which is what we're showing today. Okay. And what other projects would we know you from for Insomniac? What else have you done? Well, I've been, I've been at Insomniac for about 20 years, and so I worked on um, Spyros 2 and 3. I worked on all the Ratchet and Clank titles. Um, the resistance games, a little bit of almost everything. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Um, and what inspired you to start this one? Stormland came about because we really wanted to play an open world game in VR. Um, we've made several open world titles like Sunset Overdrive and Spider Man, and we wanted to take those systems and kind of um, merge them with a lot of the VR learnings that we've had from games like The Unspoken and Edge of Nowhere. Um, so we set out to make a VR game where you can play with agency and kind of go where you want to go, do what, we, do what you want to do at your own pace. That seems like a huge undertaking. <laughs> it has been a huge undertaking, yeah. It's, it's, it's all true, but it's, it's the fun kind of work for us because we really get into exploring new mechanics um, that trial and error phase where we just brainstorm, try things out, see what works and what doesn't is very exciting for us. Yeah. We, we, we like not knowing all the answers. And what would you say is one of the biggest challenges you've faced in this game? The biggest challenge has been um, creating a suite of traversal mechanics that let players move through this world fluidly and still feel really comfortable in VR. So we, we, we've ended up um, with a set of conventions that let every player find settings that work for them, that feel good. Then we've married that to things that most people do naturally. Like when we say climb, you will tend to reach out and grab a wall in front of you and try to climb. So we, we let you do that. When we prompt players to fling themselves, you, you grab it and you push yourself up. and We, we, we make you feel like a, a super-powered android who can just fling yourself all over the world. Then we tie that into things like a glide where you direct yourself with your hands um, and control the speed of your descent. And a mechanic called slipstreaming where you um, basically fly above the cloud plane and almost like Superman outstretch your hands to decide where you want to go. Yeah, I noticed in playing it that I, I often will get stuck in the corner of a game and, and not know how to find my way out and yeah. I'm staring at the ceiling or whatever. Right. And it felt very natural to, like, I never got stuck. Okay. I just climbed my way out of whatever it was or I did the slipstreaming thing yep. and that all, it did feel very natural. Well, that's awesome. That's, that's, that's what we want. Yeah. How did you come to figure all that out? It's a lot of uh, try a thing, see that it works, and then do more of it, or um, try a thing and see that it doesn't work and stop doing that. I mean, we, we actually hit on the um, what we call slipstreaming, the flight mechanic, really early on. Okay. Like, we had an idea of what we thought would work, we tried it, and it was fun more or less out of the box. But then other things like climbing took tons of trial and error. Like, our first uh, attempt at it um, had a really generalized climb where you would reach your hand out and pull up and we would um, move you a certain distance that was predetermined and that just felt weird. Like it wasn't one-to-one -one the way you expect like your hand to control your movement. So then we tried the, for us, counterintuitive, well, just let people grab something and then whatever their hand is doing is exactly what their body is going to correspond to. And that ended up feeling great. And then 
at first it was slow and deliberate because we thought it had to be, but we're like, what if we let people just fling themselves up? And that turned out to work really well. So it's like a series of little wins that build on each other. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, when when is Stormland coming out? 2019. Okay. And and what's next after Stormland for you? Oh, um, more cool experimentation and yeah. games I can't talk about, but I don't know, we're, we're really into making this one right now. Like, it's a lot of stuff that we've wanted to see for a really long time. It's got a, a big, deep combat system where you can engage enemy setups um, any way you want. Like, you can stealth your way through. Like, you can sneak into an enemy stronghold and place mines. Um, you can find a good vantage point and snipe from a distance. You can physically upgrade your Android body, like pull your arm off and slot in a powerful one and then go in guns blazing. Um, We've got uh, multiplayer in the form of synchronous co-op and also things that you can do with a full community. And it's got a world that changes every single week. So when you come back from week to week, you'll find new enemies, new upgrades. Uh, Everything is refreshed. So how does that work? Spell that out for me a little bit, the week-to-week changes. Is it like a multiplayer thing? In the the game story, there's an entity called the Tempest that is like a chaos agent that rearranges the world. And there's your ally called the Satellite that brings order to it. So in one week, the Tempest will rearrange the biomes, the placement of everything to make brand-new playgrounds full of new combat and traversal setups, new rewards in different places. Then your satellite will give you a set of missions that are tailored for that specific instance and your progression level. So it's things you might want to do to get the next good upgrade or to play with your friends in a certain way or to plug into the full community experience because we're all working together as Android allies to try to find the true nature of the Tempest and set the world right. That is super cool. Thank you. Thanks so much, yeah. And is it just on Oculus then, or will it be on other platforms? It's Oculus Rift exclusive. Oculus is publishing and Insomniac is developing. Okay, great. Um, Anything else you want to share with us? Just that uh, we we set out to make a big open world VR game because it's exactly what we wanted to play. Uh, We've had this great opportunity to do it. And we're having fun pulling these pieces together and can't wait for everybody to get their hands on it. Yeah, I'm super stoked. It was a great demo. So thank you for doing that. Thanks so much. I'm Juan de la Torre. I'm PR of Syndicate Arts, which is the publisher of uh, Rainwish Gang's Damn View Built from Nothing. And here's Edu, which, who is a creative director at, at the studio at Rainwish Gang. And yeah, we're going to talk about Danview, which is a simulation sandbox game about occidental culture and its different like social classes and how like capitalism affects and an, an that kind of society. So the game starts with you being uh, like a nobody, like a, just uh, a random guy in the like bottom of society who like tries to like build a future. That's basically the, the premise of the game. You have to build a future and manage uh, like your income and your life and, and, and what you do for a living to pay rent at the end of the month, get food and, 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 and thrive in society, if you want. Um, 
So basically, on a daily basis, uh, what the player does is to work in uh, precarious jobs, like super shitty jobs, uh, like uh, working in a laundromat or maybe like in a video store, like all like uh, maybe like uh, being uh, like one of these advertising guys, like a sandwich advertising man on the streets, stuff like that. Uh, trying to just like get enough income to get to the end of the day um, thing is the game has like uh, a lot of jobs you can do and all the jobs open opens like doors for another for new jobs and new opportunities in your life so for example if you're working in a laundromat someone can come to the store and say hey uh, I have this cab you want to drive it I need a partner whatever you can like go like uh, through different jobs trying to build uh, this future we're talking about also uh, the game has like this um, all the side this dark side if you want uh, in which like someone could like I don't know try to introduce you to like drugs drugs and oh, like okay. street business like trying to get you on 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 messing up with gangs and smuggling drugs in the streets, stuff like that, which will make you like get like easy money, but it will be like also dangerous. So you kind of have a choice to go with like a dark timeline. Yeah, I mean you can. I mean it's completely optional. It's super open. You can like start smuggling drugs, and after that you decide you don't want to do it anymore, and you go and with your savings you go study. And you go and apply for like a better job or whatever, or you can just like be a taxi driver if you want, and that is it, if that is, that's what you like, you can go with your taxi, listen to the radio, listen to the people, just driving a cab. Like it's completely optional. Uh, thing is, like they wanna like brainwash gang. They wanna uh, make that the game has a response for everything. Like so, for example, let's say you. You decide to choose like the dark side of things like you go with to the streets and you start messing up with police and stuff like that and you get caught if you get caught and you go to prison uh you will have to deal with prison actually it's not like a kind of gta thing you go to prison goes fade out fading and you're again in the streets uh you'll have to actually spend like gameplay hours in prison like trying to again thrive in prison you know like prison has its own system like you have to like talk with your inmates like get relationships with them smuggle things in, in prison if you like or maybe just go to the like um, to the gym whatever you know like just uh, have its own ecosystem uh, on the other side if you're like and uh, like just working for example uh, you have like this uh, stamina bar which is like super important in the game which is both uh, like stamina and life kind of thing so um, so for example to give you like quick example of how it works uh, if you like you end your shift at the laundry mm -hmm. and let's say you're like a bit exhausted after work so your stamina is like halfway and then you decide you want to like go get something to eat you get you grab your car and you go uh, to uh, to buy some food but you don't have enough income to like buy well, uh, like healthy food like good food that will like like uh, restore your stamina like uh, faster oh, so you so you have you don't have income you, you just go to like the burger place junk food and that won't like do that much like for your stamina so then I don't know in the afternoon or in the like the, in the evening you say okay uh, I met this guy who gave me this bag of weed 
uh, I need money, I don't know, I'm gonna go to the streets, whatever, and you get into a fight with someone that was like tougher than you. Um, and uh, that will like lower your stamina even more and you will go to sleep all beaten up. And let's say that when you sleep, if you're super beaten up, you won't recover all the stamina at once. So you go uh, to the job the day after and your performance won't be that good. So they will probably fire you. So like everything like has like its consequences, you know, everything has a response on the game. Game is based on like a lot of like different systems that work like separately, but when you put them together, they all like work together to make like uh, the world like feel more alive and uh, realistic in that sense. Um, also, you have like around 200 characters in the world, and each one has like its own routine, its own life, its own purpose, its own car, its own job, and you can like interfere in their lives or they can interfere in yours, and everyone is like fully independent, which is like really cool. And that adds zooms up to the sense of having like a know really a live city you have I mean if you wake up early you can see the kids going to streets to the to the school uh, you can see I don't know people get into their jobs blah 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 and if you go to the in the evening for example a guy who works in a kiosk you may you may find him like in an alley trying to like sell drugs just like you and and they can have like this double life just like you and, and yeah, at the end of the day, like the game is about management, how you manage your life, your income, your resources, your actions, to just go home, get some sleep, and get like money or get like the resources you need and, and hope, for the, for, hope for the best the next day. Um, like you can, uh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, the car is the car is like uh, a super like interesting and important uh, like piece of the game, because uh, CT is gonna be like pretty big. Uh, this is just like the working class district, right, Edu? And you have like a forest, you have like a rich district, you have like a beach, you have like a mountains. This is like a whole uh, thing, and and driving is important because. What Brainwash Gang wanted to do with the with the car thing is that it's more like a simulation thing. So it's it's not like a GTA. You can like just don't respect any traffic lights, go hitting people, like go like killing st like the fellow citizens. You have to respect. If not, like police will chase you down. You have to like even like turn on your like turning uh, lights because that that will like uh, make you like respect the. The traffic, um, the traffic, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and um, so for them, like uh, simulation is like a really important part of the game. They wanted to feel like uh, because, like Edu was telling me yesterday, like if if people if they don't make people to actually respect the laws in the game, like the traffic lights and stuff like that, and people go over like killing all the people with no like repercussion they will kill, just kill all the citizens and the game will have no meaning, you know. Uh, so they have to take care of every citizen and try to like get a, a response if they do like something like crazy or stuff like that, they have to have a response. So if you, for example, you get into a fight and you get like all beaten up, you go to the hospital and you have to pay for the medical bills, you may lose like relationships you're trying to build at that time, you may lose your job, so everything has a response and so you don't like act like you don't care.
you know. And I don't know if Edu wants to add something. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Well, I think uh, also he was saying yesterday uh, one thing that they really like in the studio is uh, the, the radio. Uh, they have like they they're given like a lot of like uh, importance to the fact that you have a radio, which you have like music, but you have also like news programs in which like let's say you commit a robbery uh, one day and uh, next day it's all over the news. But no, not only that, not only in the radio, you will see more police cars in the streets and every like that's what I'm saying. With everything has a response to make uh, like a more like real environment for you. It sounds so complicated. Like, how do you think through the consequences and like the number of different consequences for everything that could possibly be happening in this game? Hmm. I mean, uh, we we basically need to punish that consequences, like the bad ones, because uh, I mean it's easy to punish that and make it real. Like, for example, if you make something like pretty big, you will be in jail for pretty long time and in that case we can set a um, context for the jail for example if you have killed somebody from a gang you will be bullied in the jail or whatever and I mean the challenge here is find all of the that little situation that can be a trigger for uh, make a, um, a decision no not a decision a consequence so that's our challenge uh, find what can be interesting and how the player will notice them. And are there as many positive consequences for doing positive things? Mm. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty easy to think about the bad consequences yeah. because it's like uh, when somebody told you about the story about uh, a guy who have uh, shitty decisions, I mean, that sounds more real. Uh, more real than one guy who make every good decision so it will be a challenge to uh, find the way to to regard the the, the player because not all have to be a punish I mean it's, it's not fair at all I don't know it's pretty weird to think about that because not many people will find the same uh, reward uh, interesting because it depends on anybody. I mean, if you do something and you get, for example, a new friend, many people will find it like, fuck off, <laughs> I don't want a friend. So punish is pretty clear to, to, to show to a player, but the, the rewards could be hard. Maybe depends on the people. Like I remember, like talking yesterday with with Edu, uh, I remember he he was telling me, like, which can be like a more kind of like objective like how do you say not objective now uh like more clear reward could be like uh for example he was telling me like maybe you work laundry but maybe you will like progress to the game and maybe at some point laundry can be yours like that can be like a more clear reward for like regular player but i think that what ed is saying has a lot of value because uh they are trying to build this world full, full of like interactions and actions and jobs and everything and systems so every player can find the juiciness in whatever they want maybe uh, maybe someone finds a reward just being uh, in a laundromat like working 24 7 like doing this like kind of job systematic job or maybe people just find a joy uh, I don't know like in the taxi driver so I think that that has a lot of value because you have like 
Of course, you have the punishments which are more clear, but in 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 terms of the of what people enjoy as a reward, you can also have like a plenty of things because the, the world is like super open. I don't know if you saw the part of at the laundry where you like cool thing is you actually have to work. You have to actually work, and it's a systematic job. With you'll have like a some people that want this like fast or they they want like this clean for today for tomorrow blah 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 and 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 that allows them to like have like a some level design inside of the uh, in each job and i think that that could be like really interesting for people too like just doing these systematic jobs like i don't know more kind of like a paper please thing and uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and so when people are playing, uh, does everybody play as the same character or do you choose your uh, no, own no. character? Um, we have planned to, to make a character customization, but not in the regular way. I mean, we want to set a random character for everybody. So if you start the game for the first time, your Steam ID or you know, PlayStation ID or whatever, is, uh, it generates a number. So you will get a random animal and random body. So you have to deal with that. Like, <laughs> and yeah, people will hate us because of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but uh, we we want to with that little decision, like tell something and do that with the game at all. I mean, every decision have to be for for a reason. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, character customization, yes, but a little bit weird. A little yeah. bit of no choice. Yeah. Um, is there different? Like, are you born? Not born, but do you come into this world as a different class? Or yeah, that's interesting too. Because uh, I thought about that for a long time, but it's pretty interesting the concept. But it can break the game easily. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if, if you have anything at the beginning, uh, what can make it interesting for uh, for long time? Um, yeah, I love the concept, but I think that thinking in the game design could break absolutely the game. So at the end, this is a game. Yeah. I mean, you have to sell like that at, so, at some point. It's a simulator. Okay, it have many many meaningful things and but you have to choose when it's the limit mm -hmm. and I think that that's a good limit to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone kind of comes in on even footing. Yeah. And it's a single player game, right? Yeah. We love to to see multiplayer game, but it's not, I mean, we are not that big. That's fair. Yeah. But we love it. What made you decide to go with this style of art and these types of characters? Um, we have made like 20 games for game jams and all of them is uh, based on a depressing uh, society, we use animals, so it's like a sign at some moment. Um, I don't know, I think that pixel art is, is good, mm -hmm. um, I, I like it, but this in concrete is not the kind of pixel art that you can expect because it's like uh, more defi more definition on it like uh, more resolution and I think that it can 
be great for the people who actually doesn't like pixel art because it's like a half a step. So it's not like uh, Undertale kind of pixel art is more accessible because it's more like definition. It has like more realism into it if you want to. Like, yeah, definitely. How long have you guys been working on this? Around six months, more or less. I mean, I started like uh, in October, but I was working for long, basically working in the concept and ultra pre-production, but uh, yeah, around six months, just full of this. Where did the inspiration for this come from? Yeah, uh, <laughs> <basically> <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah, it's basically, I mean, we have been working on this concept for a long time and not in this game just a concept like trying to represent uh, the society so this is a, like a little mixtape of that concept that we have made before and that's all I think I mean it's it's inside basically when do you think it'll be done we expect to be finishing the game around the first quarter and the second quarter of the next year yeah, it depends on the, you know, the production and the decision, and the system, basically. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it looks really neat. I'm excited. Do I get to play it? Do I get to try it? Uh, yeah. Awesome. So my name is Michaela. I'm with Geekscape Games. Awesome. I'm Stephen Alexander. I'm the art guy at Question. Uh, we're six full-time devs, uh, formed uh, by sort of three of us, and now we've grown a bit for this game. And our last game was called The Magic Circle, but this one that we're doing now is called The Blackout Club. It's a little bit more return to form for our sort of team. Uh, we are veterans of games like the Bioshock series, and we've got some people who came from the Dishonored series. So it's uh, getting back into sort of that more horrific space, but um, we're trying to do it in a way that's not about blood or violence particularly. It's more about that sort of creeping dread, um, and hopefully you'll get a chance to see that. The Blackout Club is a co-op horror game where you play as the teens in a small town in Virginia that's in a radio quiet zone. At night, strange things happen in this town. The adults sleepwalk, and they've been digging under the streets. Some kind of strange complex, a maze of tunnels and rooms that are very odd, don't seem to make much sense at first glance. And the kids have become aware of this. And confronting the adults has done nothing. Uh, they, are, they don't realize it's happening and they are incapable of seeing the evidence of it. Uh, when one of their friends goes missing, they realize they need to get some kind of concrete evidence to the outside world to prove this is going on. In practice, that means that you do procedurally generated missions in a sort of fixed town and the maze under the town uh, where the objectives change, enemy layouts change, loot drops change, windows that are open on houses change, and so you're given sort of a series of objectives from your club, the Blackout Club, mm, okay. who are in this little boxcar here where they sort of operate uh, in the woods, and um, you try and sort of sa sabotage operations, record evidence on your phones, and uh, because it's this radio quiet zone, there's no signal coming or going, and the adults are filtering what's going out without even realizing it. So that's sort of our, our sort of feint to explain, like, why this is a hard problem for these teens to solve <laughs> yeah. while not having to fall back on going back to the 80s or something. We didn't really want to make the game. We wanted to sort of be able to leverage more modern technology. It's set in the 
undefined mid 2000s we don't want to like pin it down too much um but yeah that's uh that's the overall gist of it uh, i'm already super intrigued okay. about why this is happening yeah that's good that's that's what we're looking for um there's also another element of the game which is that we think fairly unique the boogeyman in the game is or woman you actually don't know what this is it's called the shape the shape comes after the kid that's been the baddest, the one that's caused the most trouble. Um, if you've done enough, then the shape is notified, and it will come for you until it gets you. You can't see the shape. Something has happened to these kids' minds. They black it out. It's just a, it's invisible, maybe a smudge in the corner of your vision. But by closing your eyes, you can see it. So if it's coming, then the team needs to coordinate, like, blacking out the world just so they can see this thing. So, and it will come implacably for you. It's not omniscient. It doesn't always know where you are. But if you are recorded, if somebody hears you or sees you, it will move to your location. If it gets you, it puts you under. You go back to sleep. You become a roving AI uh, that is a, a threat to your teammates. If they manage to grab you, they can snap you out of it. So that can bring you back into the fold. But if you get taken three times, that's it. The shape decides you're irredeemable and you're gone. Uh, if the shape gets everybody, you wipe. Everybody's gone. So uh, the goal is to get in, get what you're trying to do, and get back out. So you'll be able to play solo if you want to? You can, totally. It's just very hard because, like I said, if you get taken by the shape and you have no friends, then you're gone. So here we go. And is the multiplayer like couch co-op? No, it's online only. Okay. So how did you decide to choose this style of game for the story that you wanted to tell? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was actually born from our goal with mechanics. We uh, initially actually had adults, but we realized that that sort of made you wonder, why am I not just fighting everybody? Like, why am I not just picking up a shovel and whacking people on the head, right? And we wanted that sense of like we didn't want to make a, a combat first game it was more about outsmarting outmaneuvering you know laying traps distracting and when you have that power differential of teams versus sort of the adult world then that makes a lot more sense and on top of that these sleepwalkers are your possibly your parents um your teachers you don't want to really them permanently because it's not really their fault for the most part. There are some of them that are in on it, but you don't know who. So that like shadow person, mm -hmm. is that the shape thing? Not, not saying anything. <laughs> and so I just overheard somebody saying that you can customize your own character. You can, yes. Accurate? Yes, so you're playing right now as, as Isabella. Mm -hmm. Suffice to say that you don't play as Isabella for the whole game. Okay. <laughs> and you make your own kid. Okay. And so how long has this developer been around? Like, how long have you guys yeah, been? Yeah, so we've been a, a, a team since... Uh, so Jordan and I formed the company um, after we finished working on Bioshock Infinite. And uh, that was back in, I want to say, mid-2012 or 2013. Maybe 2013? Okay. I'm blanking right now. <laughs> uh, but we released our first game in 2015. Uh, so that was The Magic Circle. Okay. And Why don't you tell us about that a little bit? I can tell you a little bit about that. It was a dark comedy um, where you are inside a unfinished game and you're trying to ship it while the developers sort of fly around you and fail to make decisions and <laughs> and the game uh, sort of languishes while they deal with life and all the things that make game development very hard yeah <laughs> so it was a, a little bit of a palate cleanser for us after, and showing our own foibles we tried to point a finger at ourselves mm -hmm. like all the things that that we knew we were guilty of mm -hmm. um and and turn that into sort of a little meta meta joke you know kind of thing 
Um, it's it's also a sort of a freeform puzzle game where you mix and match the uh, attributes of the creatures in the game to solve problems. Okay. And so after finishing that one, you moved on to this? Yeah, we were basically ready to go back to sort of the stuff that we were more sort of known for and we knew we could do really well. And also something that, frankly, there was more of an audience for. Right. Um, yeah. We knew that game was super niche as we made it, um, yeah. and we don't regret it, but at the same time, we are also fans of things that other people like. <laughs> so we were like, what can we make that, you know, would, would, that we would love to make that, that more people would be into. And so what made you decide to go this route? Um, it was sort of a team decision. We sort of talked about what we were most interested in making, and we were interested in taking some of the, uh, the sort of like improvi- improvisational, how do I say that word? Improvisational. <laughs> Um, sort of uh, mechanics that uh, the Bioshocks are sort of known for, but do it in a way that didn't really require a lot of guns and explosions and see if we could kind of, you know, things a little bit more in the stealth vein, but still allow for active play and, uh, and, and find ways to sort of allow players to get creative, but with a more horror-focused, um, you know, a little bit more disempowered kind of gameplay, but, but then do it with co-op, which is another sort of level on top of that. So from like an art perspective, mm-hmm. how long does it take to make something like this come together and look this polished? It's, I mean, well, thank you so much for saying it looks polished. I mostly <laughs> see all the jank. There's a fair do, amount. Yeah. But, but yeah, like uh, it's, it's taken quite a while. I mean, we're a small team, so we're having to leverage, you know, some amount of uh, contracting and, you know, assets that we, that we, oh, we got you. Wait, yep, there it is. So that's okay. Uh, most people, uh, their first encounter ends this way. Um, so that's, that's, that's uh, understandable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, we've been working on this for about two years now. Um, this particular level still has a, a fair amount of work to go. Uh, but um, we've spent most of our time on the art side on the main game uh, because we know that's where the meat of people's experience will be. And this is something we can kind of tinker with and polish as we, as we sort of finalize. We're coming out in 2019, so we've still got some time on it. Um, but like yeah, it's, 2019 or? it's uh, we haven't said and we're, we're not willing to commit um, okay. because we don't know exactly. Yeah. We, it's sort of when we feel confident that it's it's good enough. Platform wise, is it PC only or is it no, going to console? Uh, we're going to come to uh, PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, the beta right now is just on Steam. And so, uh, you know, if people are interested in getting into the beta, that's uh, something that we're doing through our Discord. Um, excuse me. You can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, we're not showing press anything yet outside of you know what we're showing here. Uh, but we will hopefully have a build that press can you know get a handle on maybe Octoberish time frame. So if that's something you guys would be interested in, you know, let us know. Yeah, for sure. So that's a sleeper. Okay. So that's that. That's that's an adult then. Yeah, that's an adult. They can only hear. They can't see. Okay. Is that what they look like in the game yes. with their face covered? Yes. Now there will be uh, some some adults that are not covered that way, but this is sort of the work garb for for down in okay. the maze. And so what happens if a sleeper gets to you then? So they will grab you and they will try and push you to the ground. If you have an escape item. Uh, which t- can be either a tranquilizer dart or a flashbang or a stun gun. You can take one of three hero items, we call them, into the game with you. One is a stun gun. If you have a battery for the stun gun, you can zap them. Anyway, there's ways you can escape from that 
attack. But if you are too injured or don't have enough stamina, they will push you to the ground and they will start to drag you to the nearest red door, which is how the shape can quickly move about the world. Okay. Um, if they, on the way, you can try and grab uh, escape items from passing garbage piles. Um, if you manage to do that, you can get away. Otherwise, you get taken to the shape and the shape puts you under. And do you play in the daytime as well? No, like it's nighttime only because during the day, everything seems fine, fine right? And these kids have got to go to school. They've still got lives. <laughs> that sounds exhausting. Yeah, I, I would imagine it is. It's a, being a club member is a tough life. <laughs> this whole town must be very, very tired. <laughs> Building a maze, investigating the maze. It's, it's a exhaustion USA. <laughs> it's kind of like a cool, like, Hardy Boys, Stranger Things. Almost yeah. get, like... Just you talked about the sleepers being, you know, your neighbors and people. It kind of like an I Am Legend feel even there in oh, regards to like the y y these are people you know. You don't necessarily want to hurt them because mm -hmm. um, obviously they exist in your real world as well and yeah. everything like that. No, it could be your mom, yeah. right? Like that that person behind that mask. You don't know who that is. So there's a, a real incentive to not do permanent harm. Can it get through walls and stuff? No, it has to... Yep. Yep. Yeah. So you'll see a door open and close with no one there, and then you know it's getting close. <laughs> it's also we have um, in the maze they're pumping a gas in to sort of keep people in that state, and so there's a lot of mist on the ground. And if the shape is moving through the mist, it will park the mist. So sometimes you can catch it that way, know it's coming. So primarily, of course, a multiplayer game. Mm -hmm. Are there like is there exploration of different modes like? opportunity to play the shape or anything like so that at this point? So we do have an experimental PvP mode um, that may or may not ship. Uh, in the beta, we found people really liked it, but at the same time, it had its sort of rough edges that could ruin the experience. What it is, is we're calling it stalker mode, where a kid can come into your game uh, playing someone who's working for the enemy. They can't directly attack you. They can just record you and report you. And by recording you, they can bring the shape down on you. If they manage to get your whole team to wipe, that's a victory. Um, but uh, you don't know if they come in. That's one element of it. Like, they come in totally invisibly. And the only way you know is if they record you, you get a message on your phone with a picture they took of you. And that sort of helps you track where they are. If you manage to catch them, you can kick them out. Um, so that's something that uh, people seem to be into. But we had a issue where basically, you know, our, our level one players were coming in. And there are people who had been playing who had stalker, what we're calling tokens. And they were like, I love this mode. So they would just jump into these level one player games and they would just get boom, stomped, which was not great. So we have ideas to solve those problems. But for now, we're focusing on the co-op. Um, we know that's the core of what we're trying to make. We want that experience to really shine. And then we, we were considering that, you know, as sort of like an icing, something that sort of introduces that unpredictable human element, which there's not really a substitute for in terms of like, Oh man, I we, we don't know what that kid's gonna do, and and that the sort of the hide and seek that comes out of that. Playing as the shape is also something we've kicked around. Right now, no, that's not in the cards, but you know, we we reserve the right to sort of change our minds. Totally. Actually, I would just love to know. Like, I feel like it feels pretty unique, and and I love getting to a point where I feel like co-op is really starting to come back um, and it, in, in a time where it felt like it kind of disappeared for a while. What are you most excited for people to see about 
Blackout Club. I mean, I love it when a team really like comes together because it's a game where communication is so key. Because one person going rogue can sort of cause chaos to just kick off, and that can be fun. Like it doesn't necessarily ruin it, but it can. But it's like after that happens, people are like, oh man, we gotta talk. We gotta like tell each other, you know, what's going on. We gotta tag for each other, all that kind of stuff. And it's really fun to watch, like like to watch your your group of teens sort of sneaking together we have a thing we call internally the power of friendship where if you're near each other then your stamina bar kind of lights up and it drains uh less quickly and it fills up faster sprinting drains your stamina climbing drains your stamina and when you're running from guys that's really useful so um like you've got this sort of crew of kids you know one of them's picking the lock on the house one's climbing up looking at this. another guy's got the drone and he's scouting around for enemies and it's just it it, when it clicks like that, it's really cool, and uh, it's been fun to see that here. It's been really fun to see here. Yes, and like yeah, and that's the other part is this sort of panic. Like well, you'll get the like the sort of procedural horror movie moment. Like we're not a jump scare game, but the game creates its own jump scares because the shape. You know, if you forget to be looking for it, suddenly you'll shut your eyes and it's like, oh my God, it's 10 feet away. And you're like, and you'll hear that, that it's here, it's here, like run. And then the team just scatters, power of friendship out the window. Like everybody's running every direction. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. Like I, I'm, it has been super cool to see. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for playing. Um, yeah.